Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We are your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to tell you about the Cowden family murders. So pour yourself some fire department coffee and let's dive in. I want to just preface this episode with saying that there is some violent crimes against a very young child. I'm not going to go into detail about it at all, but I just wanted to let you guys know that up front. Um, Additionally, there is a dog in this story, but nothing happens to the dog. Just a heads up. Um, I want to say that just because I know whenever I'm listening to something or watching a movie, like I just want to know up front what is going to be really hard to hear so I can prepare myself or decide not to listen to it. So I just wanted to be upfront with you guys. Um, Like I said, there are some crimes against small children, but I will not go into detail about it. So in 1974, the Cowden family, which consisted of the dad, Richard Cowden, who was 28, mom, Belinda, who was 22, and they were married. They had two kids, David, James Phillips, who was five, and... Melissa Dawn Cowden, who was five months old. I'm assuming David was from a previous relationship as that since he does not have the same last name as Richard and Belinda and Melissa. So that is my assumption there. But they were living in White City in Oregon. And on Labor Day weekend of 1974, they were going to go camping. And so um, Richard was working as a logging truck driver He actually was supposed to be doing something that weekend for work. However, something happened with his truck, so the family decided to go camping. They were, as most of these stories go, just a normal family. Um, They didn't really have any issues. They seemed like the quote-unquote all-American family. So they pack up, and they're going to go camping, and they're bringing their dog, whose name is Droopy. It's a basset hound, and just adorable. That's got to be a perfect name. I haven't seen a photo, but I'm just assuming... They were, um, they actually were big fans of camping. They had gone before. And for this camping trip, they were going to the Siskiyou and or Siskiyou Mountains. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, so don't come for me. I'm doing my best. It is a coastal subrange of the Klamath Mountains, and it's located in Northwest California and Southwest Oregon. And so they were going to be staying near the Carberry Creek, which was also nearby Copper, Oregon. And they were staying at a campground, and on September 1st, which was the last day of their trip, David and Richard went to um, the Copper General Store, which is really only about a half a mile from camp, and they drove their truck over there and got some milk, and this was around 9 a.m. And this was the last sighting of the family that would be seen by anybody. On that day, September 1st, Belinda's mother was expecting the family to come by her place and have dinner. Um, She lived really only about a mile away from the campground, so they were going to pop over there after they left. However, the family never showed for dinner, and Belinda's mom decided to go over to the campsite and see if they were there. She pretty instantly didn't have a good feeling. Um, She gets to the campsite, and none of the family members are there. Additionally, the dog is missing as well. However, the site is weird because it seems kind of seemingly undisturbed. The truck was there. The keys to the truck were on a picnic table nearby. All of their valuables were there. Richard's wallet, 
Belinda's purse, um, a watch that Richard had had, and other pots and pans and food that they had been using. All of that was there. Additionally, there was a camp stove that was kind of set up, and half of that milk carton that they'd gotten earlier was gone. And there was the diaper bag for Melissa was there as well. There was also an open pack of cigarettes that was the same brand that Belinda smoked. And all of the clothing that they had brought was there untouched seemingly and only their bathing suits were missing so it seems like they did not leave like leaving was not planned is what it seems like they didn't leave because they didn't take anything that they need like they didn't take the diaper bag for the baby right yeah it seems like it does seem like they left a couple key things there that they would have just that would have been weird for them to leave out typically if you're going to go take off with your kid you're going to bring the diaper bag you're not going to leave your purse and wallet and expensive wristwatch just out in the open for someone to take you'd think it would at least be like in the truck locked and the keys would be gone which was not the case yeah it's definitely a suspicious scene for belinda's mom to walk up on i obviously don't know where the story necessarily is going but i'm glad that belinda's mom did have that gut instinct and followed it and went to the campsite to check on the family i agree i mean in so many times i think it's like human nature in one way or the other where you're instantly some people instantly are nervous they think something's wrong uh, we've talked about this before like with my mom like She's very, if she isn't here for me, she's going to text everyone to make sure I'm okay. (laughs) Um, But some people like, yeah, and some people, and this is probably a little bit closer to how I kind of think it's like, well, there's probably an answer, like no need to get too worried until you need to get worried. But in all honesty, in situations, especially like these, like it better safe than sorry is just the best phrase to go by. It's it's human nature to just assume this is not something that could actually happen. Like nothing that bad is going to occur. So you just kind of push it off, push it off to the side and just brush it off and move on and hope for the best. But not Belinda's mother. So she calls police. Something interesting to note. The next day, their dog is found kind of scratching at that general store that was about a half a mile away. So like I said, dog assumably ran off. Um, I don't know if it was on a leash or anything or what that, you know, they're on a campsite. It might not have been. I'm not sure the situation with that, but it does turn up the next morning. A reason this is pointed out is for the very small chance that the family just took off, you'd think they would have taken the dog. But to me, it doesn't sound like they took off at all. They left everything, including the truck. So they wouldn't have gotten far. Yeah, I don't know how they would have taken off. No truck, no diaper bag, no wallet, no purse. So something that we see a lot, and I wouldn't even have said, but the lieutenant in charge of the case actually called it out. Um, His name was Mark Kezar. He at one point says that, quote, the investigation had been delayed for maybe a day because of the lack of indication that anything violent may have occurred at the campsite, end quote. Like, what are you talking about? I don't get that. There must have been no initial... like there wasn't initial blood or anything i guess but i think the fact that what was left had been left the way it was is suspicious enough and where could the family have gone without the truck and traveling with a five-month-old baby and a five-year-old like the five-year-old's gonna get tired if they're walking somewhere they're gonna get tired in you know 30 minutes at most and then they're gonna be like mom dad carry me but they're already i don't know I think it's definitely suspicious enough that it's something that should have been investigated pretty quickly. And 
To be fair, he does say maybe a day. So apparently wasn't too long. Um, they do get involved, cops, investigators, and volunteers. And so they're looking around. It actually at this point was one of the largest searches in Oregon history. There was state and local police. And like I mentioned, just there's just a lot of entities involved in this. They're searching miles around the area. They do have helicopters. However, they don't find anything. And eventually they stop the search Um, There is an article that specifically notes that friends and relatives and family continue to look, which I think probably happens in a lot of these cases. But unfortunately, they just come up with nothing. Not until seven months later. So this would have been April in 1975. And there were two people hiking. One article said they were gold prospectors. (laughs) I don't know if they're actually looking for gold or just hiking, but... They're walking around. They're about seven miles from the campsite. And they find skeletal remains tied to a tree with a skull nearby. And dental records confirm that this body was Richard Cowden. And his death was ruled to be unable to be determined. Police obviously search the area trying to find the family. And they find pretty close nearby in a shallow cave that was kind of hidden from some rocks being stacked up. They find Belinda, David, and Melissa's bodies. And it's believed that they were possibly killed elsewhere and then put in the cave, whereas Richard likely was killed at the site of where his body was found. And just a quick little disclaimer, I'm going to talk about how the rest of the family died very briefly. Autopsies did show that both David and Belinda died from a gunshot of a 22 caliber rifle and that Melissa, the baby, had died from severe head trauma. However, there was no murder weapon found. So at this point, they really have no idea who could be responsible for these murders. As I mentioned earlier, the Cowden family was pretty normal. They didn't have any like dark-seated past or any enemies that the family knew of. Something to know, Richard's family specifically, I know, was very impacted by these deaths. His father ends up committing suicide about six months after this happens, after the bodies are found. And um, Richard's brother had some sort of mental breakdown, understandably, from this. But um, one of Richard's brothers did mention that Richard was pretty trusting and friendly, and it wouldn't be weird to of him to strike up a conversation with a stranger if they approached him. Um, so at this point, you kind of wonder if the person who intended on killing them for whatever reason, maybe came up to the camp and either struck up a conversation and then pulled out a gun, or maybe he just approached them with a gun. We don't know. I almost wonder if it was more than one person because of that. Obviously, it's a situation where you could coerce the rest of the family by holding the gun to one person's head. Yeah. But it is a lot of people to get out of there without, like, in a discreet manner, you know? I agree. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess there weren't a lot of people right nearby the campsite. If they were abducted from their campsite, you would think someone would have seen something at that point. Maybe there just weren't a lot of people camping there. I'm not sure. But as Erica mentioned, I mean, if you're holding up a gun to one of the, especially one of the kids, like mom and dad are going to comply because what else can you do? What authorities kind of start to put together And what they think maybe happened is that Richard and David came back from getting the milk. Obviously, the milk was there. The truck was there. And maybe they planned on going swimming nearby. 
hence the swimsuits being gone. And then um, sometime before noon, they theorized that they were likely abducted by gunpoint, like Erica and I kind of mentioned. And that likely it was someone random, someone they didn't know because they didn't seemingly have any enemies. They think maybe they were driven because they were found seven miles away. So they were thinking maybe they were driven to that area and kind of forced up. They were up like a steeper hill. So maybe they forced them up that area where they eventually were murdered. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. I just have to say that this takes an extremely sick person to go to a campsite and kidnap a family of four and then take them seven miles away and murder them. I mean, not even to get into too much detail about this, but one, anybody who can hurt children are terrible people but this is not just children it's a toddler and a baby and that's just I can't even well there is one kind of suspect that comes up with this case his name was Dwayne Lee Little a weird name if you say it really fast so I kind of paused it out there because it runs together but he actually was a convicted rapist and murderer in 1964 he had sexually assaulted and murdered a teenage girl and had gone to prison for it, but actually had been paroled for a while. So he had been paroled just a few months prior to the Cowden's disappearances and murders. And he eventually goes back to jail for life for picking up or abducting a pregnant 23-year-old named Margie Hunter and this was in on June 2nd, 1980. And he had sexually assaulted and beat her. She ended up surviving, but he gets convicted for attempted homicide and sentenced to three life sentences consecutively. And so he he is either in jail or is dead. I'm honestly not sure where he's at right now in his lifespan, but in prison for the rest of life, his life nonetheless. But at the time of the Cowden's murders and disappearances, um, he was 25 years old. And there is a couple sightings that maybe link him to at least being in the area. So first off, I'm going to say he had a girlfriend at the time who ended up telling law enforcement that she had seen him with a 22 caliber gun matching that of the murder weapon, which was a parole violation. He actually, in between... Him getting paroled and going back for life, he was put back in prison for a little bit because of this gun violation and his girlfriend coming forward, but he was paroled again and then went back in for life. But there was, like I said, a couple sightings. One of them was that he was seen in this campground area with his mom, Bruce and Margaret, um, to whom he was staying with while he was paroled. And this was the evening of September 1st. Additionally, two women who had been in the area of the campsite um, or that general area, I think it was like a hiking area, it was maybe a popular area to swim in the creek, I'm not sure. But they did say they saw two individuals, and they saw them 
around the time that the murders may have happened, they saw them in a pickup truck. And it the people in the pickup truck made them uncomfortable. One of the quotes from one of the women was, quote, they acted like they were waiting for us to leave. And frankly, they made us nervous. So we moved on, end quote. So, I mean, I can speak as just from a woman's perspective. Obviously, I'm not a guy. I don't know how that feels. But from a woman's perspective, you kind of get this feeling when you're around a guy or guys where you feel a little uncomfortable. I don't know if it's always warranted or not, obviously, but there is a certain feeling you get where you're kind of like, ooh, I don't know about the situation. That kind of natural instinct. Um, I know Erica, I'm sure, has felt this at some point too. I'm shaking my head, yes. You guys can't see it. But I, I am affirming that this is something that has happened. And like Abby said, you know, is it always warranted? I don't know. But it's just a gut feeling sometimes. But like I said, I mean, seeing them was enough to make them uncomfortable and want to leave the area. But they do provide some descriptions. And the truck description they provided matched Dwayne's truck at the time. And one of the individuals, the description they gave matched Dwayne. This is really looking suspicious for Dwayne. Right. So police get a warrant to search his truck in his house. Um, they don't really find anything in the home that I've seen. But his truck, they say, was ridiculous. Ridiculously clean, like so clean that it looked like no one has even driven it, which suspicious, right? Very suspicious. It sounds like he recently ridiculously cleaned it, which that's not what I envision when I think of somebody who's been in prison for raping and murdering someone is a meticulously clean truck unless there's a reason they have meticulously cleaned it. Like potentially you just had a family of four in there that was murdered? Maybe. But like I said, they don't find any evidence, nothing to really link him. And he maintains his innocence with this. Um, One other thing I will say, eventually when he was in prison, um, one of his inmates who actually shared a cell with him at one point, his name was Floyd Forsberg, said that Dwayne confessed to the murders. Of course, we never know if that kind of thing is real coming from inmates, but it sounds, it certainly lines up with some of these other circumstantial evidence that we're finding i'm just gonna like end it though okay as i mentioned Dwayne did not say he was part of the murders or had any involvement and with so little evidence he was never convicted and unfortunately to this day we still don't have answers and the calden family murder just remains unsolved thanks for listening to this week's episode of crime over coffee you can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.